read Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Amen. Thank you, Kaylee Ann. That's such a good passage of scripture. My prayer is over the next nine gatherings that we have as we walk through the book of Ephesians that it would actually be those first 14 verses that uh, fill us up, that actually form us in, in, into the people of God together and inform the way that we live here in Mesa or Gilbert or wherever you live. I, I was just thinking as uh, Coral was talking about the prayer walking, I was like, man, how cool would it be if we walked our neighborhoods with, with that passage in mind? Like if that was actually the good news that motivated us, that gave us eyes to see, that gave, a, that gave us a, a heart to feel what God was actually up to in the world, there's not a more beautiful passage for us to have saturating our hearts than that passage. And so I'm excited to be able to open up uh, this series uh, talking through uh, that passage. I was actually going to flex in, in times in my life. I've actually memorized that passage in, in different times. And then I went to try to do it the other day and I couldn't do it. So that's just the life of a Christian, right? The ebb and flow of, of Christianity. So uh, I passed it off to Kaylee Ann to read it and uh, I did not flex, but it's just a beautiful passage. And I really hope that it uh, shapes us as the people of God. And, and I do hope that we can just sit in this passage over the next uh, 9, 10, 11, 12 um, weeks. Um, I have a lot to talk about uh, this week. I am going to talk about four things uh, today. Uh, Reese's peanut butter cups, uh, the true story, 
gospel horizons and spiritual blessing, what it means to have spiritual uh, blessing. But first, I want to talk about Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. How many people in here actually like Reese's Peanut Butter Cups? How many like peanut butter and chocolate? Okay, who doesn't like Reese's Peanut Butter Cups? Be honest, because they're out there. People are out there. They just don't like the peanut butter and chocolate thing, which I had no idea because peanut butter and chocolate is like my favorite combination in all the world. Um, But the first time I realized that not everybody likes peanut butter and chocolate was actually when I was in a a small uh, little village in the middle of India and I was uh, giving a, a teaching on prayer, and we were t- we, I was talking with everybody, and I was using this, what I thought was a brilliant illustration about peanut butter and chocolate, and I started talking about Reese's Peanut Butter Cups being my favorite uh, treat, and how peanut butter and chocolate was so good and delicious, and it was like manna from heaven. And as I'm telling and describing peanut butter and chocolate to these people uh, out in this middle of the village, they started murmuring. And like some of the people out there had this like gross like look on their face and they're like, like almost like doing like the the gag reflex. And through a translator, I looked at him, I was like, what is going on? Why is everybody laughing and giggling and having that gag reflex that is going on? And and he turned to me and he looked and he's like, they've never heard of peanut butter and chocolate together. Like to them, putting peanut butter, which in India is like a savory like sauce that you put on savory dishes and and vegetables and like an Indian dish, to mix it with something sweet was repulsive to them. And so they were like doing this gag thing. And so I was laughing and my illustration failed miserably and didn't go over. I had to start and talk about something different, but it was really funny. And, and, and I walked away and I was with Pastor Ashok. He's a really good friend of mine still to this day. And I was like, man, I know you can't imagine peanut butter and chocolate together. But next time I come, I'm going to bring you some peanut butter and chocolate and your life's going to be changed. And I did. Six months later, I, I like had to like bring in a little like freezer bag some uh, Reese's peanut butter cups because it's a million degrees there and they melt instantly. And uh, I got him to him and he ate it and he liked it. And he was like, Whoa, and every time I, came, I went there from that time on, he asked if I would bring Reese's peanut butter cups with me, and it just became this new thing. And here's why I, I, I tell that story with Reese's peanut butter cups, because it was the first time I recognized that there are, two, there are things, two separate things, that people can't imagine together. Like, you know, like you probably have like ingredients in food, like two ingredients that you just can't imagine coming together and being good and delicious. Or have you ever seen that like really odd couple, right? The, the husband and wife and like they couldn't be more different, right? Where you, you have like, you know, supermodel like a woman and then like the, the, the guy that probably needs to exercise a little more that sits behind his keyboard all day and they're together and they're like get married and you're like whoa I can't like picture them together I know that's really shallow of me but I'm just being honest right you guys we all have that picture in our head of two things that just don't fit together well I think heaven and earth is kind of like that for us these two realities, like in our imagination, we, we, we can imagine heaven and we get all kinds of weird imaginative things about what heaven is like and when, when, when the Bible talks about heaven and it's always this place that's far off and unreachable and we all know and have taste and seen like kind of earth. 
like goodness in the earth. But when we think about bringing heaven and earth together, we just don't have an imagination for it. We have a really hard time to believe that heaven and earth could be one. But here's the thing, is that heaven and earth were made for each other. They're not two separate things. They've been separated by sin. And, and I love C.S. Lewis has, has uh, I think it's C.S. Lewis, he, he talks about um, that it's not that we desire too much, but we're far too easily pleased. And we just don't have an imagination for this heaven and earth reality. But Paul opens up the letter to the churches in Asia Minor, the letter to the church in Ephesus. And he's trying to elicit or stir up an imagination for what it could be like if earth and heaven, if God's material world and spiritual world began to overlap and became one thing. And that is the hope of the gospel. It's the good news of the gospel. What has been separated by sin is now being brought back together in Jesus Christ. Heaven and earth are rejoining together in the way things were meant to be. And here's where we get to the true story because the true story actually reminds us that heaven and earth were made for each other. As a place for God to dwell The heavens and the earth were this place where God was going to dwell, almost like a tabernacle or a temple. And and as God made this creation, as he made the heavens and he made the earth for him to dwell, he made it like a temple. And like all temples, God fashioned for himself an image to place in this heaven and earth reality. But it wasn't an image made out of stone or wood or gold like all the other temples during the time that the scriptures were written. It was an image that was made out of flesh and blood. And then God did the most spectacular thing is he took that image that was made out of flesh and blood and he actually breathed his breath, his spirit into that image and man and woman became animated, right? As, as these images, bearing his images in his temple, in his heaven and earth creation where man and woman were created to dwell with God and he named them Adam and Eve, man and woman to bear his image in this heaven and earth creation. And these God-alive image bearers were invited to work alongside God, to subdue the earth, to, to take the material world and the spiritual blessing that came with it and make something more of it, to bear his image and spread his glory and goodness around. And then if you follow the story, you realize that sin hijacked this beautiful story And humans stop trusting God, separating us from God and distorting his image in us. And this placed a veil between heaven and humans, between God and his new, very good creation. And so God loved humans. He loved his creation. He didn't design heaven and earth to be separated. And so he sent his son Jesus to reverse the devastating effects of sin to begin to restore all of creation back to its right and proper place under God's good rule and reign. And the kingdom of heaven 
in Jesus Christ is beginning to move in to our broken earth. That's what the true story tells us. That, that heaven and earth are coming back together. That there's this new reality that we get to live in. This heaven and earth reality. They're not separate. It's not like peanut butter and chocolate for the villagers out in the middle of Madhya Pradesh. It's this real thing that come together. And what my hope is, is that as we begin to dive into Paul's vision for the church and how we as the people of God live in this world, ushering in this new heaven and earth reality, that we would start having a taste for the things of heaven. That we would start having an imagination for this new world that's being brought back together and develop a beautiful taste for a heaven and earth world. And so I want to take a moment just to maybe entice our imaginations before I dig in and, and just ask the question, what does it look like for us to taste and see the goodness of God right here and now? What is, what is a, a, a new, uh, uh, what are some ways that we see the kingdom of heaven breaking through right now in our actual lives? Where do we see heaven moving in? And so take a moment to turn around and talk to someone near you and just discuss that question. And, and hopefully we'll unpack it more and more of what that can look like. But what do you think right now? How do you see the kingdom of heaven here and now? Take a couple of minutes to have that discussion. that they just like are like, this is good. This is good. Heaven and earth reality. I was just reminded of um, like we see heaven breaking through when we um, have relationships that are fractured and there can be restoration. That's a good drop the mic one. Come on, I, there had to have been more than that. We got, what do we got in this area over here? Um, I said just creativity, seeing people like artists. To me, it's the creativeness that we were given um, in creation, but knowing that like creativity together will happen in the renewed earth. I love that. Sin destroys, but the blessings of the kingdom of heaven actually create, makes things new, right? And it's, that's a reflection, an image of God at work in the world. I love that. I'm going to give this section one more try. What do we come up with? Okay, we got one. Kinsey gave me permission to share what she said because we thought it was very good. Um, she had said that you see a lot of people that have, don't have what they need, so people that are maybe living on the streets or just without, and you see others caring for them with food and different things. Caring for the marginalized, I would definitely say that is a huge picture of the kingdom of heaven breaking through. It's a part of the promise of new creation reality. When you see people taking up their role and responsibility to think, there is this beautiful reality of, of, of the reality is, is we have not trained ourselves very well to see the kingdom of heaven. 
I feel like we're inundated with the negativity of the brokenness. And I think sometimes, I'm going to talk about this in a minute, sometimes it's much easier for us to identify uh, the curse than it is for God's new creation to come through. And as we read Ephesians, I believe Paul is, is helping us to see and to think about what God is actually doing and to create an appetite in us for the kingdom of heaven that helps us to see it and live it out more clearly. And, and it's not anything new with Paul. In Isaiah 65, the prophet Isaiah reminds the people of God what will happen in, in Jesus Christ, right? Where we are at now. And I love this. He says, see, I will create a new heaven and new earth. And, and the reason we don't oftentimes see this new heaven and new earth is because we're looking for a physical manifestation of a spiritual reality oftentimes, but listen to how the prophet defines this new heaven and new earth. He says in verse Isaiah 65, verse 23, he says, they, listen to that, the, the new heaven and the new earth reality that God is promising is now referred to as they, the church. They will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants after them, that somehow that God is going to create a people that usher in, that help to create or participate with what God is doing through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit to, to create this new heaven and earth reality. Isn't that a crazy thought? That right now, they, we are that they. God says, I promise. I will give you a new heaven and a new earth. And Isaiah, Isaiah comes out and says, and, says, and they, the people of God, the new creation reality, we cannot separate heaven and earth. Our great hope cannot be limited to the idea of going to heaven when we die. Our great hope is that as we live in Christ, we will and can experience more and more and more and more of the kingdom of heaven here. Things like freedom, things like life and creativity, things like love and peace, things like justice. As heaven rains down and cries, see, this letter to, 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 to the scattered churches around Asia Minor begins with this beautiful prayer. It's called a, a, a baraka, and it's, it's an extended Jewish blessing, and it, it's, a, it's a designed... As we begin to listen to Paul, help us imagine what a new creation reality looks like as the people of God. He wants to make sure that our posture is one of worship and thanksgiving. That we're actually reminded of who we are and all the blessings we already have in Jesus Christ. It's designed to create an atmosphere of worship and joy. And so he starts out by thanking God for all the blessings we already have. And it's this crazy, one long run on grammatically incorrect sentence. There's not one period, one comma. There, there's not one punctuation in 14 verses because Paul is just worshiping God for the blessings that we have in Christ. And as we begin to go on a journey to be formed by God together for the sake of others through the book of Ephesians, he begins with this beautiful praise. 
There's nothing else like it. There's, there's, there's only one other place like it in all of scripture, and I'll get, I'll get there in a moment. But Paul has something in mind. And so as we dive into this, uh, before we get to the beautiful parts, I want to remind us what God is doing through three gospel horizons. What is our hope, right? And, and, and there's three horizons to the gospel. There's three things. There's three uh, uh, things that the gospel is aiming at, right? And there's a personal, communal, and cosmic reality that's changing. And oftentimes what happens as Christians, especially in an individualistic, consumeristic, Western mindset, is we usually stop at the personal. This me and my relationship with God. The gospel comes in and wants to make me right with God through Jesus Christ. But the gospel is so much bigger than that. Right? And, and, and there is a personal aspect. We have to take personal responsibility for our relationship with Jesus Christ. But ultimately, what we just saw in Isaiah 64 about the promise of God, primarily how God is going to create a new heaven, a new earth, and redeem all things through this cosmic reality, is actual this communal thing, which is what Coral talked about. When fractured relationships come together and are made whole when people who would never sit at the same lunch table uh, in high school begin to actually do life and serve one another in crazy, miraculous, loving ways that the world wouldn't even expect. The gospel is coming in and not just changing individual hearts, but forming a community that ushers in God's cosmic rule and reign in all of creation. See, and, and, and the reason that's important is because this is the story Paul expects to be in his readers' minds as he describes the power of the gospel to form the church so that they might participate in God's mission to redeem all of creation. How the Father, Son, and Spirit are forming a new people to cultivate a new heaven and earth reality. And so what do we do? We, we pattern our lives after the likeness of Jesus because heaven came down in him. And this is what I love about our controlling verse tonight. The center, what I believe is, is, is the, the verse of all of Ephesians is this. With all wisdom and understanding, God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. By the way, that's Jesus. The fulfillment has already come in Christ. All things were fulfilled in Christ to bring unity to all things in heaven on earth under Christ. This is what we're a part of. This is what it means to be the people of God together here in Mesa. We get to be a part of this Mystery that's been hidden throughout the ages that's now revealed in Jesus Christ that we get to be a part of God's beautiful plan to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And here's the staggering truth. Who we are as the church is far more sacred and purposeful than we ever dreamed. Far more. This is our moment to live in the story. And the question is, will we faithfully take up our role in it? See, verses 3 through 14 remind us where we need to start if we are going to take up our role in God's story to bring all things to unity. And it starts with remembering who we are. Remembering the blessings that 
we already have in Christ, the, the blessings that are designed to shape us as the people of God, that teach us how to live and how those blessings shape us for a new way of living in this world that God loves. The other place that we see uh, something like this is in Psalm 103, where the psalmist begins his psalm and he says this, praise the Lord, all my soul, all my, all my inmost being, praise his holy name, praise the Lord, my soul. And then he does this, and forget not all the benefits that he's bestowed on us. And then he goes on to say things like, he forgives us of our sins, he heals our diseases. And I love this, it's not just like, hey, I have leprosy or I have a headache and God heals me. He actually is talking about a communal disease, the things that separate us as people, the little arguments we have and the bitterness we harbor towards one another, the unforgiveness we have, the broken relationship. When, when the psalmist is talking about heals all our diseases, it's a communal disease. We have this disease, sin, that separates us from one another and he heals all the dividing lines of hostility between us. He heals our disease, he redeems us, pulls us from the pit, and then he crowns us with love. Paul does the same thing. And, and, and he does it because he knows that it's far too easy to allow the curse to overshadow the cross. We walk around, all day long seeing the effects of the curse and not remembering the blessings of the cross that we have in Christ. And so here's our warning. If we don't remember who we are, we will settle for less than we are made to be. That's the great warning. If we don't lift our minds up to heavenly things, if we, don't, if, if we don't recount the blessings that we have, we will be shaped by the currents of this world, the, the, the curses that are going on. We will. There's no neutral ground. And so I'm going to spend just time going through these blessings. What is our identity? Who are we as the people of God? And let me just read this to you one more time. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless, that in his sight, in love, he predestined us for adoption to, to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. And in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Not one of those words are future tense. Every single one of those promises are now, right now, present tense, who we are in Christ. And so let me go through these five or six things. There's dozens of things that we could pick out in here. I picked out six things that I think the Lord wants us to remember. First of all is we are in Christ, right? And, and this, is, this is more than just being like Christ-oriented. I know we talk about orienting our lives around Christ, but this language of in Christ is way more intimate than just turning our attention towards him. It's, it's this unity with him. It's stepping into him in, in, in intimate and real, tangible ways. 
where, where we don't just have our ear pointed to him, but our full affections and our hearts are, are, are united with his. Where we begin to love what he loves and, and do what he does. It's not just about um, paying attention to him. It's, it, it's about having our affections all wrapped up and tied in him. In who he is and what he's done and his beauty. See, more than 40 times in this book, Paul is going to remind us that any spiritual blessing we have is in Christ. He says over 40 times, in Christ, in Christ. In this passage alone, over 10 times, he reminds us that everything we have is found in Christ. You will not find it anywhere else but in Christ. And the reason this is important is because the world is an agenda place. It has an agenda. It's not neutral. There's a battle that has been waged by God against the powers and philosophies of this age, which is ruled by sin. I know that sounds spooky. But apart from Jesus, all of us are caught up in this strong opposition towards God. And so Paul reminds us that it's in Christ I watched this thing the other day on, uh, on YouTube and it was like, the, it was an elevator prank. And what they did is to, to show the power of groupthink. And everybody got into the elevator. There was like seven people in this elevator and they were all faced against the back wall. And so they would just go up and down these floors. And when someone would come in, they would open up the door and they'd see all these people face the other way. And they would step into the elevator and they would begin to go down. And it was hilarious because as they're sitting there and all the people are facing the other way, the person would just start to turn. And then they would just start to turn. And then they would start turning. And eventually, by the time they got to the floor, no joke, the person that wasn't in on the prank, just a random soul, was, was doing what everyone else was doing. It's this crazy current of culture that we are trapped in. If we don't stand in Christ, we will stand in something. And Paul reminds us that we have full access to God. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. He says, the church is not a religious community of worshipers of Christ. But listen to this. But is Christ himself who has taken form among people. That's who we are, the body of Christ, where he is our head and we're being built up into him. We are actually Christ taking form in the earth. See, Paul is not asking for agreement to propositional truth. He's asking us to stand in Christ, giving us ourselves fully and affectionately towards him. Not going in and out, but abiding in, remaining in him. Second, when we are in Christ, we're spiritually blessed. And, and, and I, I love this, that, that we are spiritually blessed by the Holy Spirit in the heavenly realms. This passage in the heavenly realms, is a, it's, it's a Greek idiom that Paul uses. And it, it, it literally means a place only for the gods. Right, and they had this, this Greek gods culture like Zeus. Like you guys see the, the new Thor, right? Where he like goes to that place, the realm, right? Where, where like Zeus is at and he goes and Zeus makes all his clothes disappear, like fly off him. Am I the only one that's seen that, Thor? Is that like not a Christian movie or something? Sorry, I saw it. Yeah, it's great. That's literally what it means. That place that's only reserved for gods that humans can't go it, it literally is that picture to the people that Paul is writing to in that moment saying, now you have access. 
Now you can go to the place where God dwells. The heavens are opened up to you in Jesus Christ. But he says we're spiritually blessed. And this word that he used spiritually in front of blessed is important. It, it, uh, it, the, the Greek word is pneumataki. It, it, it's the same word we get for air or like, a air, like an air compressor gun that like blows like air into things. And, and, and what it's talking about is the reason we don't feel spiritually blessed as the people of God oftentimes is because this is not an external blessing. It's actually talking about the inner self. He's talking about the in, our interior world. We're spiritually blessed. In Christ, when we begin to examine our interior lives, things like anxiety or bitterness or hurt, pain, interior emotional strife, when, when we actually allow the gospel to do interior work, we actually can experience spiritual blessings and begin to get freedom on the interior part of our lives. And then what that does is it works itself out into our material, our, our everyday living. And so we start by the inside. The blessings we have are, are um, interior, not exterior. And we're shaped by whatever we attend to. And it is the interior world, what is going on inside of us, that has the greatest impact on how we experience the material world. So when Paul says you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, he said there's freedom for us on the inside. We have access to that in Christ. It's possible. This is why we practice things like silence and solitude and examination so that we can be still and know God. So that God can begin to move in and, and, and through our self-examination, we could begin to intend to our, our interior world and begin to experience spiritual blessing. And see, we have a tendency because we live in a consumeristic world to think of blessing as external. And it's not. See, you bring you everywhere you go. And what God wants to do is, is have you move into Christ. The, the, the third thing is we are made holy and blameless. And I love that because what he's talking about is in Christ, right? We're, we're made holy and blameless by what Christ has done, not what you do. It doesn't mean we, need, we don't need to deal with our stuff. That doesn't mean we just live recklessly and make any choice that we want to make. But it means that in Christ, we can have freedom from sin and we can actually take on his identity as holy and blameless children, that we could shake off the guilt and condemnation and we don't have to prove ourselves to fit in or to try to make something of ourselves, but we can actually live in Christ's righteousness and his holiness and his blamelessness and his rightness. We don't have to prove ourselves to God or others. God has done it. And then he goes on to say that because we are loved, God adopts us into his family. And, and I love this picture because it's, it's, it's an extra type of love, right? It's not just like, hey, I, I love the Adams and I think the Adams love me, but they will probably never adopt me in their family and tie me into their inheritance. You can if you want to, but they probably never will. But that's exactly what God is saying in that moment. I love you 
And so much so I'm inviting you into my family. I'm adopting you so that everything that I am bestowing on all of creation through my son, Jesus Christ, belongs to you, my children. And we get to, we get to walk in this world with God's full inheritance at our back. And I think it's, it's one thing to be forgiven. It's, it's one thing to be made clean. It's a whole other thing to be loved, truly known and loved by God. There's freedom in that. I love Joseph Piper. He was a German philosopher. And he says this, he says, it does not suffice to us to simply exist. We can do that anyhow. What matters to us beyond mere existence is the explicit confirmation that it is good that you exist. How wonderful that you are, that you are made in God's image. In other words, what we need over and above sheer existence or forgiveness or even a blamelessness is to be loved. It's what we need. That's what we were made for. And God loves us. Our world is desperately searching for people who live from a life that's saturated with God's love, who know deep in their soul what it's like to be still and know that God is God. We don't have to hide. Fifth, we are invited into the mystery of his will. This is a beautiful one. He goes on, that was verse 8, 9, and 10 that we talked about is that, that God is not just at work. And, and, and um, I don't know about you, but sometimes when uh, I'm busy working and my, my son wants my attention, he'll like try to come and participate in the work that I'm doing, whether it's like yard work or I'm doing something around the house or whatever. And I just want to get the job done. And so I'll like, I'll like push him aside Right? And, and when, when I'm at my, my worst parenting, I'll hand him his tablet and be like, don't leave me alone. When I'm at my best parenting, I'll like set up a craft and you know, redirect him and do something else so I can get the work done. That's not what God's doing. God's not like busy trying to hold things together and just shushing his children away while he does everything. He's actually uh, uh, revealed, unveiled the mystery of his will and invited us in to walk alongside him and participate in his work. See, we're a people who's invited into the redemptive work of God. Everywhere we go, wherever we work, live, and play, we are actually participating in God's redemptive will for the world. We're a missional people. Our lives have meaning. They're purposed. We're not just floating around and trying to bide time until we get to heaven. We are actually God's missional people helping God redeem co-creating these new heaven and earth realities alongside him. And then the last one is this, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And I, and I love this picture because not only is it a picture that um, like a king would, would put a seal on, on a document that, that needs to be legitimized where uh, we have the authority and the power and the wisdom of the king. It's also this picture of God saying his seals on it. It's like, a, I know this is going to sound awful, but it's like branding of cattle where it's like you have the mark of the Holy Spirit where God says, mine, you belong to me, you're mine. 
And he's, he's given this deposit in us that's not just like a couple of coins until we rate to wait till the great treasure in heaven. He's given us his very self. He has held nothing back from us. And he's poured out his Holy Spirit in us as a guarantee of the future. He's given us the most precious thing of heaven in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's really good news. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. It says mine. And as we move towards the Lord's table, I just want us to think, what could this year look like? Personally, as, as we begin to press towards the spiritual blessing and, and allow God to work on the interior world that we all have going on inside of us, whether it's raging war or it's at peace, Will we step into Christ and allow the spiritual blessings of the kingdom of heaven to begin to bubble up within us? What will it look like this year if personally, communally, and even for the sake of Mesa or Gilbert, we lived into this spiritual blessing? Into our identity as forgiven, loved, adopted, purposed, and sealed. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna move to the Lord's table.